Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is the 90th Psalm where my Bible is open to. Psalm chapter 90. We're going to notice just one verse in this Psalm of Moses. Most of the time we think about the Psalms, we maybe think about David or someone other than Moses, but this is a Psalm that is credited to Moses. I'm going to notice there in verse 10 in just a moment. As you're turning to Psalm chapter 90, let me join in the welcome from earlier. It is great to be here this morning, and it's great to stand in front of such a such a wonderful audience. We do got just a bunch of folks visiting with us from other places, and you are our honored guest. We appreciate it so very much that you're here today. So we've come together to give God the honor and the glory and the praise that He's due. We've done that already in song and in prayer, and we want to continue that even right now through the study of His Word. I am really glad to be back uh, here at Lakeside uh, this morning. Had a good week with the church there at Hazeldale last week and uh, bring you greetings from those brothers and sisters there. But as much as I like being there, I like being here even more. There's just no place that I would rather preach than this spot right here. And I'm going to try to do that right now. In Psalm chapter 90, this is verse number 10. In Psalm 90 and verse 10, Moses says, The years of our life are seventy or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. We fly away. Did you know? Did you know that eighty is the new fifty? That's right. About a hundred years ago, the average life expectancy here in the United States of America was only fifty years old. Stop and think about that for a second. Think about just within this congregation. That would probably be like, I don't know, a third of the folks here. If this was a hundred years ago, you may not even be sitting here this morning. But now, thanks to modern medicine and safer travel and advancements in technology and just, just better knowledge all around, that number has grown to nearly 80 years. And I think that overwhelmingly, that's that's a positive thing. That means that we get more years here on this earth with the people that we love. That would mean more opportunities to serve and glorify God in our earthly bodies. Those extra years, that's a wonderful addition to our lives. And so whenever we hear those kinds of statistics, living to be 80 years old, there's almost this expectation that we're probably going to get somewhere in the vicinity of that number of years. In fact, if I were to ask our teenagers this morning, hey... How long do you expect to live? None of them are going to say, "Eh, I don't know, a week or two, maybe a month. No, they're going to say 70, 80. In fact, isn't that what Moses just got done saying there in Psalm 90 verse 10? That we might live to see 70 or 80 years old. And so there is within us this sense of expectation that we're going to get to see those years. And that's not altogether a, a bad or a wrong thing. If that is the average, then, then I think we can reasonably look forward to reaching those golden years. And in fact, there are some in this auditorium this morning who are obviously above average. You're past 80. You've exceeded that number of years. However, the idea of us expecting a long life, that has a very dangerous side effect to it. You see, if I expect that I'm going to have many, many more years, many, many more decades upon this earth, then whenever I approach certain challenges in my life, whenever I approach things in my life that I know I need to do, 
things that I know God wants me to do, things that please Him, things that are important to Him. Whenever I approach issues in my life that I need to change, whenever there are things that I know I need to stop doing or there are other things that I know I need to start doing, then what will happen is is I will start making this very fragile excuse. And that is, I know I need to change. I know I need to do this. Or I know I need to stop doing that. But I've got plenty of time. Got plenty of time. Don't live to see 80 years old. Got plenty of time to do what needs to be done. Listen to me very carefully. The moment that you say that to yourself, the moment that you think that for the first time, the moment that you use that as an excuse to put off making a good decision or turning away from a bad decision, you are stripping away the very essence of the power of the gospel. And that is a sense of urgency. When you take urgency out of the gospel, it does not impact people's lives and people's hearts the way that God intended for it to do. We all know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 and in verse 13. At the conclusion of the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus says, Watch! Be on the alert! Be ever ready, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus says, there is no time to waste. There is no time that is guaranteed to you. And of course, all throughout the New Testament, urgency, urgency was the driving force. It was the engine that drove people to do what was right in Acts chapter 2. When Peter stood before that great audience on the day of Pentecost and he preached that first gospel sermon, convicting those people, pricking them in their hearts, those people after hearing that sermon, they did not go home for a couple of months and think about that for a while. No. All they had was that moment and they seized upon it immediately. Or how about in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, when did he obey the gospel? In the middle of the night. Why? Because that guy didn't know if he was going to live to see another sunrise. But you know what he did know? He knew that he had that moment right there. And he seized upon it. Or what about even for a Christian? What about a guy like Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8? That guy was a Christian. But very soon he found himself right back into sin. Peter rebukes him for his sin. He says, hey brother, you're in the gall of bitterness. You're in the bond of iniquity. You need to repent. You need to pray God for forgiveness. Simon then said, well, okay, appreciate that. I'm going to go home and study on that for a while. No! Simon right there, right then said, pray for me. Because he had that moment and he saw the urgency of action. And I'm saying to you this morning that as soon as we start telling ourselves that there is plenty of time, then we are giving the devil just a whole slew of opportunities to start tethering lies to that belief. If we think that we've got plenty of years and plenty of decades left, and that time will just kind of unfold however that we choose to schedule it, then the devil will come in and he'll say, well, if that is true, well then here's a bunch of other things that are true as well. Which is why this morning, for the next several minutes, I, very shamefully, I would like to work for the devil. You heard me right. For these next few minutes, Brian asked me why I'm wearing all black and got the red tie in the middle. That's your reminder visually 
that for these next few minutes, I am working for Satan. Because I want to share with you four things that the devil would have me to preach to you this morning. And here's the first one. And that is, don't you know, don't you know that there's plenty of time to follow after your own lusts today? To indulge in your sinful desires today? Because you'll have so many opportunities later to turn away from those bad choices. So many chances later to to live holy and godly lives. You know, look, you're not going to die today. That's just not... Look, you're healthy. You're here. We're all doing well. You're not going to die today. The the Lord's not going to return today. That's not going to happen in our day and time. In fact, look in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter 3, there were actually people during the time of the New Testament who... That's actually what they were saying and what they recognized. In 2 Peter chapter 3, I hope nobody is surprised this morning that the devil knows the Scripture. The devil knows his Scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 3, read with me in verse 3. 2 Peter 3 verse 3, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. What will they say? They'll say this. Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. There you go. The world's been around for thousands of years. God hasn't destroyed the earth. Jesus hasn't returned. Certainly that's not going to happen in our lifetime, people said. And you know what? Those words, those words are still just as relevant today. I mean, look around. It's been nearly 2,000 years since God has done anything supernatural on this earth in the name of Jesus Christ, what are the chances then that the Lord's going to return by the time that I finish this sentence? See? Nothing happened. Same today as it was yesterday, as it was the day before, and the day before that, and the day before that. It's just always been the same. Now look, we all know following after our lusts, that's bad. You shouldn't do that. That's wrong. Shouldn't be involved in that. We all know that our bodies ought to be held in honor. We ought to use our bodies to serve and glorify God. But you know what? You can get around to that eventually. You can put off, you can wait with that holy living, godly living stuff. You can hold off on that until later after you've tried out the pleasures of sin for a season. But of course, maybe you're sitting in this room this morning... And you're not really all that interested in engaging in all kinds of unlawful lusts. That's okay. Because maybe what you are is maybe you're a, you're a good church-going person. Maybe you are even a member of the Lord's church. But maybe what you recognize about yourself is that you've got some, you've got some weaknesses. You've got some shortcomings in your life. You've got some areas that you need to improve in and that you need to grow in. Hey, listen. You've got plenty of time to work on that. If you are aware of your shortcomings, that's really all that matters. As long as you're making a a mental note, as long as you're mindful of the things that you need to correct, the things that you need to do better in, then that's really the only thing that matters. As long as you know what you need to change, there's not any real urgency to actually change it right now. Look in the book of James, please. 
In James chapter 1, wow, can you imagine the devil saying, please? Yes, the devil would say, please. The devil knows how to use his manners. In James chapter 1, look in verse 23. In James chapter 1, this is verse 23. In James chapter 1, verse 23, James says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. I know, I know, I know, I know, you need to do better. you got some things that you need to get, get cleaned up in your life. I agree with that 100%. But can you stop and just think about this, this mirror idea for just a minute? Fellas, have you ever got up in the morning and you looked at your face in the mirror... And the first thing you recognized, the first thing you saw was, I need to shave. I'm bad overdue for a shave. Starting to look like Grizzly Adams up in this place. Got my neck hair all out of control. It's starting to connect to my chest hair. It's just starting to feel all scraggly. The wife is starting to say stuff about that. Looks up, I need to get this cleaned up. The mirror is making that clear to me. Well, let's be honest. I'm 36 years old. Every time that I have ever woke up, and looked in the mirror, and saw that I needed to shave, it didn't take long before I quickly forgot about that, and then went about my daily affairs, my daily business, came home, went to sleep, woke up the next morning, looked in the mirror, and you know what I saw? I got another look at it. I got to see it again. I always get another opportunity to take a look at what I see in the mirror. I've always had one more day to look in the mirror and be reminded that, yep, you need to shave, you need to do something about that. I haven't died. Jesus hasn't returned. The truth is, I have always got tomorrow to look in the mirror. The mirror's not going anywhere. Eventually, though, eventually, though, I'll I'll get it all cleaned up. And you know what? That's the way it is with your life. If the Bible is the mirror, hey, don't worry. It ain't going anywhere. The Bible isn't going to disappear. The Bible's always going to be there. If you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, that's okay. Don't worry about making those changes today. Who cares about that? There's plenty of time to make those improvements later because the mirror is always right here. In fact, the reason that there's plenty of time is because you need to first get your ducks in a row. You understand about that? You need to first get ahead in life. Then you can worry about putting God first in your life. You know, we all know what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, that you need to seek first God's kingdom, and that, of course, that needs to be put ahead of everything else in our life. And you know what? There'll be time for that. There'll be time for you to do that. You will get to a certain stage in your life where one day nothing will matter more to you than Jesus and His kingdom and His righteousness. But what I'm saying to you is, just wait for it. I don't mean to speed the process along. Just wait for that day to come. There are a whole lot of other things right now that really need your time and really need your attention. Like, for example, if you're a young person, you need to focus on school. You, do, you just need to pour your heart and soul into your grades and homework, getting, getting that diploma. Then when you get to college, getting that degree if you choose to go that path. Because, of course, as soon as you get all of that squared away, get your education taken care of, then you're going to have to focus on getting a good job. You need to start your career. You need to build that, that, that resume. You need to establish your business. That is so important. 
And of course, somewhere in the middle of all that, you're probably going to meet a special someone. You're going to want to get married. You're going to want to have kids. You need to get your family started. That you, you need to do that. That's really near the top of the list. And once you've got all of those components in place, then, then you will be perfectly established and then you can start putting the kingdom of God first. Actually, since you're in James, would you just flip over a page to James chapter 4? In James 4, look at verse 13. James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, and we will spend a year there, and we will trade and make a profit. Exactly! Take a year. Take two years. Get your business set up. Get all your financial things in order. Do all that housekeeping kind of stuff. And listen, I'm not telling you that you need to shove God out of the picture completely. No. You can go to church whenever it fits your schedule. You can pray to God whenever you find yourself in a jam. But for right now, you need to worry about about you. You need to focus on numero uno. I mean, come on. God, isn't God the one who said, if a man doesn't work, neither should he? Isn't God the one who said that if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel? There you go. Let's use these. Let's use our prime years to get ahead in life because there'll be plenty of time to put God first later. And then, of course, I know that there are people in this room right now who've never obeyed the gospel. People who have never put Christ on in baptism. And I recognize that you have thought about that a lot. you got some fears about that. you got some trepidation about that. There's some anxiety about making such a huge life change, making such a big commitment to the Lord. You've got fears about that. you got fears that, you know, what are my friends going to say? What are my friends going to think? Or maybe you've got family members and you're worried, what is my family going to think if I do that? Maybe you just have fears about walking down front and doing all of that in front of everybody. Hey, listen, I feel you. I understand. And what all of those fears mean is they just mean that you're not ready. That's what those fears really are saying. Because what you need to do is you just need to take some more time. You just need to take some more time for yourself. You need to just kind of think it through and dissect this from every possible angle. That'll give time for those fears to subside, and eventually you'll be ready to follow through with that commitment. In fact, you should know, if you do that, you won't be the first person. People have been doing that for a long time. Look at Acts 24. In Acts chapter 24, there's no urgency here. Just consider the case of Felix. Paul comes along to the governor Felix He's really kind of you know pushing hard for this guy to become a Christian. But you know what? I'm just convinced Paul wasn't very sensitive to Felix's fears. Felix had some anxieties. In Acts chapter 24, look in verse 25. In Acts 24 and verse 25, as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. Some translations say he trembled. Another translation say, Felix was frightened. And he said, go away for the present when I get an opportunity. Later, I will summon you. In other words, what Felix said, he says, look Paul, I just got some fears about all that stuff that you're preaching. But you know what? At some point in the future, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year, 
I'll overcome those fears and we'll sit down and we'll have just a real serious heart to heart about this obeying the gospel stuff. And you know what? That's, that's fair, isn't it? That's fair. That's not him just saying, now Paul, I don't ever want to hear you again. Get out of my face. No. That's not outright rejecting the gospel. That's just saying, not right now. In fact, do you realize that thousands, probably even millions of people have sat in buildings just like this and they have heard sermons just like Paul's and they have walked away saying exactly what Felix said and they didn't die like the very next day. And why? Because they had plenty of time. In fact, look at verse 27 of that chapter. Felix had at least two more years of opportunities to study with Paul, to hear Paul out. He probably heard hundreds of sermons during that time. I imagine Felix listened to Paul quite regularly. Probably heard hundreds of invitations to obey the gospel. Just like you. Just like you will. This isn't going to be the last sermon that you ever hear. I'm tired of preachers saying that. Getting up and staring people saying, this could be the last time you ever hear the gospel proclaimed. Ah, come on. Preachers have been saying that for centuries. In all likelihood, you'll be back this evening to hear a sermon. You'll be here Wednesday night to hear the invitation offered. You'll be here next Sunday after Wednesday after Sunday after Wednesday. You'll have all the time that you need to get comfortable with that baptism thing. In fact, we've all known people, haven't we? We've all known people who waited until they were like 40 or 60. Or in some cases, some people waited until they were on their deathbed to actually obey the gospel. Things turned out okay for them, didn't it? You see, there's plenty of time. And so, what do you think? Is the devil right? Maybe the devil is right. Maybe you can indulge the flesh for a season. Maybe you can ignore those changes and improvements that you need to make in your life. Maybe you can put other things first and you'll get around to putting the kingdom first later. Maybe you can delay and put off obeying the gospel because you will have so many more years to do all of that. Or maybe, maybe you'll be Matthew Montemayor. You don't know Matthew Montemayor. There's no reason for you to know Matthew. Matthew was a 17-year-old young man who was dating a young lady who was a member of the Lord's Church. And as sometimes young men are wont to do when they are interested in a young girl, he decided to start coming to church with her. And he actually took an interest in what she believed and what she was practicing. And so his girlfriend, she tried to, to offer some material to Matt and, and tried to study with Matt. And the preacher, he offered some material for Matt to look at and consider. And he also offered to study with him. And you know what? For three weeks straight, Matt attended faithfully. He listened during that time. He listened to six gospel sermons. He heard a total of nine invitations to put the Lord on in baptism. But but Matt was only 17. I mean, come on. He was near. He was nearing the end of summer, about to start a new school year. He was going to be a senior in high school. So many other things on Matthew's mind. He was thinking about, about what the senior year was going to be like. He played sports and he was involved in all of that. So many other things were occupying his mind and his attention. And eventually, eventually Matt knew that he would have time to sit down and study and really consider the condition of his soul. And so the preacher shook his hand on Sunday night. And Matthew walked out the door. He got in his car. 
and he made it safely home. The next day, Matthew got up early, picked up three of his friends to take them to school, and a car crossed the median. T-boned him. Three days later, four teenage boys were buried six feet under the ground. Now, I pray that that doesn't happen to anyone here or just anyone anywhere. But I suspect, I suspect that you know of stories just like that. And if there is one thing that that story teaches us, is that our time here on this earth, there is not plenty of time. There are no guarantees. There are no assurances. Look, that idea of average life expectancy, that does not mean that you can expect to live that long. That's just an average. But you know what? Even if you don't die prematurely, who's to say? Who's to say that you won't be a part of that massive crowd of billions of people who will still be alive on earth when the sky rips apart and Jesus descends and He appears and returns in all of His glory. Listen to me. When that event occurs, not everybody who's still on the earth, not everybody is going to be 80 years old. You understand that? There's going to be 14-year-old girls looking up at the sky. There's going to be 21-year-old boys looking up at the sky. There's going to be 36-year-old people looking up at the sky. And for all of them, when that moment occurs, time will have expired. And where we are in our faith at that moment, that will be the difference between heaven or hell. And that's why right about now, I wish I could just rip this red tie off because I'm tired of working for the devil this morning. That's not who I'm here for. I am here on behalf of Jesus Christ. I am here as a servant of the Lord. And so I want to preach to you God's sermon. And what I want you to know, what God wants you to know, is that all that stuff that the devil is feeding you, and he's doing it in a much more subtle way than the way that I presented it today, but all that lack of urgency, wait till later kind of mindset, it is a lie. And what God is pleading with you to understand is that there is never, never plenty of time. In fact, all of the arguments that the devil would make from Scripture, God would have me go to those exact same Scriptures to show you the truth. Remember that first one? Remember 2 Peter chapter 3? Go back there. In 2 Peter chapter 3, there were those people there who said, Hey, look, it's been forever since God has done anything. Certainly God's not coming back now. And so we, we can follow after our, our lusts and our sinful desires right now. But do you remember the real point of 2 Peter 3? The real point is how foolish those people were. Those people overlooked some very important facts, like verse 5. They overlooked the fact that God has destroyed this earth once before. Back in the days of Noah, there were people who were walking around who expected to live a very long time. And God ended it in the snap of a finger. Not only that, but verse 8 says that they overlooked the fact that God is not affected or bound by time. God can end this world Whenever He pleases. And then verse 10. In verse 10, they overlook the fact that God has promised that a day is coming. It will come like a thief in the night. Unexpected. Unanticipated. That day is coming. The Lord will return. And you know what? You may be saying those exact same things that those folks were saying. That may describe you. 
where you're trying to, in some way, you're trying to, to kind of time this thing out. And that's really what you're doing here is you're kind of playing a game. It's a game of Russian roulette with your soul. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get in as much sin as you can right now. Try to get it then all, get it all fixed, you know, quickly before I die. Hopefully, in the middle of all that, the Lord won't return. Listen to me. This morning, if you are hoping and wishing that Jesus does not return today, then that front row has got your name all over it. If you are actively hoping Jesus doesn't come right now, then you ought not leave this building until you do something about your soul. Because the very most important fact that you are overlooking is that the very breath that you have been granted, every single second that God has given to you, it is for one purpose and one purpose only. Verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, notice this, but that all should reach repentance. You live. You live for one reason and one reason only. If you are a sinner and you have been granted to live to see today, and if the Lord in His mercy allows you to see tomorrow, you live for one thing and one purpose only. And that is to repent of your sins and to turn to God immediately. In fact, that's the reason, that's the only reason that the world even continues to stand at all. The world does not continue to stand so that you can time your sin. The world stands because God wants you to repent. In fact, look at that second argument that the devil makes. What about in James 1? The devil says there that the Word of God is a mirror reflecting back at you. And that is absolutely true. But the devil says that that mirror, the mirror is not going to disappear. You can just keep going back to it day after day after day. And eventually... Eventually, you'll make the changes that are necessary to be made. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons why that's a big, just a big old lie. One is, is that we can become callous to the Word of God. That the Word doesn't have the same effect on us today that it would have had yesterday or the day before. But can I really show you what's wrong with that line of thinking? Look in James 1 again. We're actually being warned against the kind of lethargic, wait-till-later mentality that the devil wants us to have. James 1, look at verse 22 again. James 1, everybody else is there except me. James 1, verse 22. James says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, And he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. Listen, that's not something to brag about. That's not something to brag about. That I look at God's Word every single day and I say, Yep, I need to do that. Well, see you tomorrow. No! You want something to brag about? Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He, the doer, will be blessed in his doing. If only you and I could could get a glimpse into heaven. If only we could see God in heaven right now. And imagine that he's holding just this big old canister of spiritual blessings. I mean, everything's in there. Peace, joy, hope, 
forgiveness. Just all of it's right in there. And the good thing about it is, it's right there on the front of that can. It's got your name on it. Right there on the front of it. And God just cannot wait to pour those blessings out right onto you and right into your life. And every morning, what God hopes is He hopes that maybe today will be the day that He gets to shower those blessings upon you. And so He sees you today. He sees you looking at His Word. He sees you reading it and following along and you're absorbing what has to be taught here. And what you're thinking right now is you're thinking, eh, one of these days. One of these days I'll get around to making those changes. One of these days I'll get around to being more hospitable. I've really been meaning to do that. One of these days I'll I'll get this attendance thing fixed and I'll be more consistent in my attendance. One of these days I'll work on that anger problem. That's a problem, but ah, this is just too big of a problem to deal with right now. One of these days I'll get around to that obedience to the gospel stuff. One of these days I'll do it. And so you know what God is doing right now? God is taking that can of blessings. He's putting them back on the shelf. There is never, ever plenty of time to put off doing what is right. Because I don't know about you, but I refuse to live even one more day without those spiritual blessings in Christ being showered upon me. I can't live without those things. God wants to give you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He wants to do that right now. But you have to be an effectual doer of the Word right now. And then what about that get-ahead-in-life stuff? The devil loves preaching that. Look, I don't want anybody leaving here today saying, that. Oh, Josh said that grades don't matter. Homework doesn't matter. Getting, getting graduated, getting into a good school, that doesn't matter. Listen. You say that, I'll haul you out back and stone you with songbooks. Josh didn't say that. But if you want to quote Josh on something, you can quote Josh on this. And that is that regardless of your age, you do have to learn about priorities. You have to learn how to prioritize your life. Something has to come first. And then everything else has to fall in line after that first something, doesn't it? And you know what our culture says needs to go on the top line, don't they? Our culture says you need to put yourself first. You need to put school and academics. You need to put your job and money and success. You even need to put your family and other things like that. That needs to come first. That's what you need to focus on, number one. Would you look in James 4? In James 4, this fella in verse 13 that the devil wants us to pay attention to, this guy's not being commended. Because he made a whole lot of money before he devoted himself to working for the Lord. No, James says the exact opposite of that. James 4, look at verse 13 again. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town. And we'll spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It's just a mist, a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. What's the arrogance here? It's the arrogance of saying, I've got plenty of time. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
Have you ever met one of those if the Lord wills people? We may actually have some if the Lord wills people here in attendance this morning. Everything, every time, if the Lord wills. Hey, I'll see you for lunch tomorrow. If the Lord wills. I like folks that say that. I like folks that say that a lot. I use that expression from time to time. However, I'm a little bit afraid that because we use it so often, that it kind of loses its emphasis. But it's a powerful idea that every second, every day, every moment in my life is only if the Lord wills. And see if you can follow my train of thought here. If every second that God gives me is if the Lord wills, then shouldn't every second that I live be for the Lord's will? Everybody follow that? Does that make sense? That seems right to me. That means that I cannot say, Lord, if it's Your will, give me another day so that I can use that for myself and then eventually I'll get around to serving You. That doesn't fly. That doesn't work. If we're going to only eventually give time to God, God may eventually not give time to us. What God is looking for, verse 17, is He's looking for people who know the right thing to do right now, who seize that moment, and then make everything else live in the shadow of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This, this is our moment. Because finally, finally, there may very well be, actually not may, there are. There are people in this room who are not Christians. And you have heard the sermons. You've heard the invitations. You've sat in Bible classes for years on end. And it's not a it's not a knowledge problem. It's not a well. I need to really study that out and figure that out. That, that, that's not it. You know, you know who God is. You know who Jesus is. You know that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. You know that what it says is true, and you know that it does give directions. It offers a plan for man to be saved. You know what Acts two thirty eight says that you need to repent. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. But there's a whole lot of reasons as to why you have waited. And if you have waited, please recognize once again, God gave you the time to be to this present day. It's only by His grace that you are still here right now. But there are fears on your part. And there's a certain amount of trepidation. And baptism most certainly will create a huge change in your life. And so the devil says, okay, what that means is, is that means that you're just not ready. And you know what? That's what the devil convinced Felix to believe in Acts 24. Felix thought for certain that he would have plenty of time, plenty of opportunities to hear Paul again and again and again. Felix was certain that eventually his fears would subside and he would be ready to obey the very gospel that Paul was preaching. But did you know... That in Acts 24, or Acts 25, or Acts 26, or Acts 27, or Acts 28, nor anywhere else in all of Scripture do we ever read about Felix finding that time, finding that convenient season to obey Jesus. I tend to believe that if Felix had obeyed the gospel, God would have included that in his word. Felix had it right in front of him. Salvation was just a moment away. But he was sure that he would always have another moment. 
He was sure that he would always have plenty of time. And I wonder about Felix. Do you ever think about Felix? I wonder about him. I wonder, has Felix been in torment for 2,000 years? Right now, just as he has been for all these centuries, is Felix still screaming and crying out in agony, in expectation of eternal agony, and all he can think about, the only thing on his mind is he remembers that day. That day when a man named Paul stood in front of him and he preached to him about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come and Felix let it slip away. Felix will be marked by that moment for the rest of eternity. And so will you if you allow this moment to pass you by without responding to the invitation of your Lord. Here's the good news though. This is why the gospel is the good news. It can be the other way around. You can be this morning. You can be the person who pushes aside your fears. You can be the person who puts Jesus Christ on in baptism. And then whether you live for 50 more years or even if you only live for another 15 minutes, you can be defined by that moment. The moment that the gospel became real to you Because you finally saw the urgency of action. This, this is that moment. This is the moment. This is the time to stop believing the devil's lies. It's time to tell Satan that enough is enough. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 3, Peter says, You have spent enough time in the past doing what unbelievers like to do. It is time. If I could just paraphrase Peter there. Stop wasting your time. You've you've wasted enough of the precious minutes and moments that God has granted unto you. It's time for you to now give Him what He deserves. Give Him your heart. Give Him your life. Give Him your will. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.